Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So I think that we're gonna really enjoy the guest that we have today. You know, he's a, a founder that has done it multiple times. You know, like he's seen the ups, the downs, uh, and obviously now, you know, definitely he's seen a ton of traction. So I think that without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Nick Hussar. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to it. So originally born and raised in the Seattle area. So how was life growing up there? Oh, it was great. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a suburb about 20 minutes south of Seattle. Um, you know, I had a really, I think, pretty, pretty blessed upbringing. Um, father who worked at Boeing his whole life. He only had one job. So I'm sure when he thinks about what I'm doing, it's a little crazy to him. Uh, and I had a mother who was, uh, who was uh, a therapist. So, um, you know, I, I like to think I'm a pretty good uh, mix of both of my parents, which happens to... Uh, I think be an advantage, uh, given what I, uh, what I work on. And, uh, um, yeah, I think it was good. My parents really threw me into a bunch of different things as a kid. I played every different sport you can imagine. So that meant I wasn't great in any one thing. Um, and also I think spent a lot of my time in you know, private art class most of my life, which, which again, as we talk about building out companies, I think there's a lot of creativity involved in that. And so felt like that's always been part of who I am. Got it. And that's interesting. So how would you associate, let's say, like putting paint on a canvas, you know, like with perhaps, you know, building and scaling a business? Well, what I love about building companies, um, I mean, sure, there's plenty of challenges. There's plenty of things that you just don't sign up for that you have to address uh, as somebody that's running running a business. But um, I think of companies as like the ultimate creative experience. Um, there's so many things that you can influence and, and help drive. Um, so, you know, for me, like, you know, the most basic way, um, it, when I started offer up, like I came up with the design, I came up with the logo, I designed the app. So, so that's one way to think about it. Uh, but there's other dimensions to that. So how, you know, how do you hire? Where, where do you hire? How is your office laid out? Why is it that way? Um, you know, what do you look for in culture? So you can just kind of keep going as a company uh, and think about how those things get shaped. So, you know, most, most days I feel like I am playing with Legos. Like I feel like I get to yeah. build things and, and sculpt things. And that, that works well for me. For sure. And especially, I guess, uh, during the early days, you know, when you don't have anything tangible, it's like literally all in your own head. 
and it's kind of like really helping people understand what that canvas looks like. So, so definitely, I'm sure that that creativity and how your mom, you know, push you, you know, in that regard, you know, perhaps you know, like has had a an incredible influence in your in your career. And and then, how did you get involved with with because obviously you went to Washington State University and and you got you know involved with business and computers. So so why? How did you develop that love, perhaps for computers too? Yeah, so when I, when I was in college, I was pretty fortunate that I lived in a fraternity, and the the majority of I would say the people living there ha- were getting uh, like MIS degrees, which is just management information systems. So basically, you know, business major with an influence in computer science, and um, so I was I was just a sponge. Um, I was I knew I was passionate about computers. Um, in fact, you know, short story, I took out a bunch of student loan debt to buy my first computer, which back then was like $2,200. So it was extremely expensive back then. Uh, and I didn't tell my parents and then my mom found out about it because they, they, they wouldn't buy me one. <laughs> and I and I essentially told them like, look, I, I can't exist without my own computer. Like I need to have it. I need to understand how these things work. Uh, so I finally bought one and then uh, graduated and worked in a startup for uh, one of my fraternity brothers uh, making like half as much as, as all my friends did. I think I was making like 27,000 a year back then. And it, it was barely enough to even, you know, eat and pay my rent. Uh, but, you know, I'd say in the first year working there, uh, there was about 25 people in that company. You know, I was leading projects for uh, like Paramount Parks. Uh, they had a bunch of theme parks, but they had no online ticketing. So we built the first online ticketing for them. Or uh, for you know BMX, we built their first ever e-commerce website, and so that's kind of the time in history of what I when I graduated, and uh, you know I was fortunate to sit next to engineers who taught me how to code. Uh, again, probably given my kind of a you know artistic bent, self-taught myself Photoshop, and so within a year, year and a half, I really you know I was just loving the internet. I'm like, wow, this is so creative. I can. I could design things and then I can cut them up and I can make them interactive and you know, I can work with engineers and make them, you know, tie into databases and be functional. So I think I knew pretty much right out of the gate, uh, kind of what I wanted to do with my life, which was something, you know, involved, involved with the internet. And obviously this led you in, in your, in your twenties to your first company. I mean, it was obviously event networking, but this really led to like your real first experience, which was Connects Inc. So tell us about this. Yeah, so while while I was out of college, um, you know, within that first year, you know, the, the whole dot com, you know, scene was happening. It was and it was big, and people are throwing money everywhere. And so, you know, this this uh, guy that I worked with, he, he was like, "Hey, I want to go throw a big event together and just bring you know bring all these different tech companies together in the Seattle area." You know, what do you think? I said, "Hey, I think that's a great idea." And so he and I just kind of you know threw in I don't know maybe eight hundred dollars the first event. Uh, and then fast forward over the next year or so, we had done 30 of these and we had like Sun and Cisco, um, you know, sponsoring these events to the tune of like $10,000 each every month. So, you know, we were making more money doing that than we were in our day job. Um, and then all of a sudden the dot-com bubble hit and everyone stopped sponsoring these events. Uh, but again, I think the learning lesson was 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 interesting because we realized that Networking is, is valuable, but it's also inefficient. It's also a lot of work. And so we had this concept that why can't we just emulate that online? Um, you know, little did we know social media was coming. So, 
you know, we started very early, um, way before Friendster, way before MySpace. And, you know, the only examples we could look to at the time were dating sites. And there was thousands of them. Uh, but if you, if you peeled away the branding, you realize that under the hood, they all kind of function the same. So we thought to ourselves, what, why couldn't you just build um, a platform where that would enable anybody to build basically what is now known as you know social media. Um, yeah. So that was Connects. That was the idea behind it. Um, you know, I think I learned a lot of um, you know kind of painful learning lessons from doing that. That was my first big venture out on my own, uh, raising money, uh, building out a team. You know, every everything associated with building a company. Um, you know, we learned. I think you know through that experience. And so, um, you know, I we. We hired, we raised millions of dollars, mostly from angels. I think we, we had a lot of really great business minds on our board, but not really, I would say, tech-minded individuals, which created a challenge. Uh, I think we hired, uh, we, we made a lot of mistakes hiring. Um, you know, we hired too quickly, and we didn't really know what we wanted. And, and I think for anybody that's building a company, it feels good when you fill that role, and then 90 days later, you realize you make a huge mistake. And I think... That's something I definitely advise people to not do, uh, just given how much I learned, uh, you know, through that. Um, definitely, definitely, you learned the also sleeping on an air mattress and living in the office. So obviously, you know, like yes. part of the, of the startup experience too. Uh, why not? But but here I think that you know you were alluding to it, no, like hiring, you know, the wrong people, maybe you know not having the right people seated on the right seats. I'm sure that this was like an incredible MBA, you know, experience for you, like in, in, in real, in real life. I guess, you know, really from, from the tough moments, from the tough experiences is where we learn the most. I guess, I guess as you're looking back and, and, and perhaps, you know, like after the time with Connects, I'm sure that you had a lot of time to reflect. What would you say what was, was perhaps like the, the most painful and the, and the biggest, you know, lesson at the same time for you with this? Uh, during, my, during my Connects experience? Correct. Uh, I, I think really, uh, you know, businesses are about people. So when I think about it, I think it just, when I think about the investors and the team, and again, I think they're, they were all great people in their own right, but for what we were trying to build, probably not like probably just not the best, the best, uh, advisors and, and folks around the table. Um, and again, I go back to the, even reflecting on my own decisions. I think, you know, we, we hired, I think too quickly and didn't really have a, a very focused strategy and, and we weren't intentional about culture and we can talk about how that's changed now at offer up, but that's another thing. I don't, I don't think we even had core values or anything. And so it was more of, can you do the work? Okay, great. You got a job. Uh, so that's, uh, that's probably one of my biggest, you know, painful lessons from back then. Got it. And then, you know, after this, I mean, you, you ended up uh, leaving and then, you know, the company actually ended up closing down. Is that right? Yeah, I left and then we had a, I had a co-founder and an investor that ran it for at least probably another year. Uh, and, I'll, and we made a series of pivots. Like we were never going to beat and become something like a Facebook. Um, and so there, there's been a series of different changes, you know, over a period of time that we explored. Um, and ultimately, I think they, they ended up deciding to close it down. Got it. And in this case, I mean, you ended up, you know, it led you to really where you are today. I mean, what an amazing business that you've built with, with OfferUp. You know, obviously, I'm sure that all those experiences and lessons with Connects, you know, really you were able to apply them here. But, but tell us about, you know, here, you know, turning page, 
going into a new chapter. And I know that OfferUp, you know, was the result of doing also a pivot. So uh, tell us about the early days and also how you incubated the concept and the idea. Yeah, so when I left Connects, I had no intention of um, building another another company. Um, and, and like I said, it's a lot of work. And, and, and as you mentioned, uh, I was sleeping on an air mattress, which is not that comfortable. <laughs> so to jump into another startup was the last thing in my mind. Um, but my wife and I, um, you know, my wife and I moved into a good sized house and we always said, oh, you know, we've been married and we always wanted to have kids. And I had a room full of stuff. And, um, you know, one day she says, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm like, I'm so excited. Uh, going to dad mode. And I open up that door to this room that I'm going to uh, turn into uh, her nursery, uh, my soon-to-be daughter's nursery. And I'm thinking to myself, kill me now. There's got to be a better way. Like, this is going to take me a, a whole weekend just to post these items online for sale. Um, and... You know, I think just given the fact I had just come off another startup, I had no income, right? So that because I just quit, uh, I had a wife that was working, and I had a daughter on the way. So again, I did. You know, I was the first thing in my mind was not, "Hey, there's something here. I, I got to go get a job." So I'm out there looking, you know, interviewing for a job and spending a bunch of time on that. But I think, like any good ideas for entrepreneurs that are out there, um, you know, I, I believe that. If you can't get it out of your head, you should listen to that voice. And I kept thinking about that moment in the doorway. And I kept looking at my iPhone, which is the second gen iPhone. And there's no, at this time, there's no Android phone even on the scene. Um, but I kept thinking to myself, man, because, because of these devices, can we reimagine what local commerce actually is? And you know, I started to uncover things like you know, 25% of US households with a two-car garage can't park in their garage. Um, our homes are actually 30% larger than the 1950s, but we're having less children. Um, you know, uh, the hottest area in real estate is not commercial. It's not residential. It's actually storage. And so you can, have, you know, you can wrap a seven by seven square around every man, woman, and child in this country of storage space. So you add all these things up and, you know, I, I just kept thinking to myself, I think, I think while there's existing solutions for this problem, um, I don't think they're meeting the needs of people clearly. And so can we, you know, wh why is this problem existing? And this is just the consumer side of things, but you also, I also started to spend time in local retail stores, right? What is in the retail store down the street? And why don't people know that those things exist in there? So when I decided one day, I finally come back, I came back to my wife after probably four and a half months at least, and she kept asking, where, you know, when, when you get your job? And one day I said, you need to come home tomorrow. Uh, I need to show you something. And basically, I prepared a 12-slide pitch deck to pitch my wife uh, on, on, this, on the idea of off-road. And, uh, and I just told her, I said, look, uh, I've kind of been interviewing, but I also have this idea I want to run by you. And, um, you know, the pitch, to be clear, had nothing to do with used goods. And it still doesn't to this day. The, the, the pitch is, why is value sitting? And why is it sitting all around us? And why can't we see it? Um, what if we can unlock all that value by focusing on removing as much friction and bringing trust into that local uh, you know, experience? And uh, you know, so I, I didn't get you know, halfway through it. My wife said, this is the biggest idea you've ever had. I think you need to do it. 
And so I was just, as soon as she gave me the blessing that it completely stopped interviewing and I went all in, um, you know, on offer up. So, so again, I think an important lesson for, you know, people that are building businesses, uh, have an amazing significant other that's, that's understanding because had she said no, um, I probably, we wouldn't be talking right now. Right. So that would have just ended it for me. Uh, but, uh, luckily she was supportive and I think she's always believed in me and, uh, you know, with her blessing, I then, you know, decided to move forward and just dedicate all my time to, to building out, um, what is now offer up. So, so that you got the blessing from the boss, from the boss in the house. The boss, obviously, you know, in, in your life. I mean, my wife is also my boss. So, so I guess, uh, you know, you get the green light. And now you get the green light. And then what happened next? Yeah, so I think, you know, I had, of course, a ton of energy and excitement. Um, you know, I analyzed every way everybody I thought could buy and sell things locally. Uh, I used to go, go to Goodwill stores, and I realized the cars never stop. In fact, the first code that I ever wrote for offer up was sitting in a Goodwill parking lot all day. And I'm just sitting there just starting to code and starting to think about and mapping out how Goodwill works or Value Village works or, you know, how the, some existing e-commerce players work. So I really just wanted to understand the landscape. And then, you know, with a clean slate, a brand new slate, how can you do it differently because of the smartphone? So, you know, our belief back then was everyone would have a smartphone and now you're, you, you know, everyone would say, well, duh. Uh, uh, but that was one, you know, assumption. The other one was the cameras would get better and we could leverage that. Um, you know, we could leverage chat. We could, you know, we don't have to send out our phone numbers and our emails anymore and we can make it, you know, much more secure. Uh, we can make it a visual experience that's kind of geo aware. So as I move from work or wherever I'm at, you know, I just want to be able to open up the app and see and discover things that are all around me. That was the whole idea. It wasn't to be great at search like other marketplaces are it was to explore like more of the treasure hunt type experience and so that was kind of some of the initial sketches that we did um today you see a lot of apps that have this this long infinite scrolling list of pictures uh at the time i think we were probably the first app to do that um you know we didn't look we didn't see any examples of what we were doing um you know in a mobile phone uh, oh sorry on the smartphone and so yeah in the first you know year i think the hard part was you know, so I had convinced a, a, a really brilliant, in, you know, engineer uh, that I worked with at Connects to co-found OfferUp with me. Uh, his name is Aaron, and he's, uh, you know, he's very, very talented. And I think in the first year, it was just he and I coding. I mean, I would, I would design. I, you know, I would build out the website. I could code that. I could design all the apps. But I'm not a great backend engineer at all. Uh, so I think another just good, great learning lesson I had is. You know, find partners and co-founders that are very different than you and, and can complement your, you know, the areas you're not that strong. And he is definitely that. And so, um, so the first year, that's what we did between he and I, we were able to build, build the first website, the first uh, mobile app. Um, you know, we would find a handful of engineers and we would pay them. Uh, we, we raised a little bit of money. We only raised about a hundred thousand dollars our first year. Uh, but we didn't have an office space. We were not paying ourselves. Um, and when we could find engineers, we would pay them just a teeny bit, but we'd compensate them more with, with ownership and stock and what we were building. So uh, that was a lot of work because, again, you have to convince people, why do they want to come along on this journey, this risk of this unproven idea? Um, and so we found a handful of people that were willing to actually you know, do that at that time. Got it. And there you talked about 
Arian, your, your co-founder, and, and you were mentioning that he's an amazing engineer. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are probably listening now that are maybe like looking for a tech co-founder. So I guess what do you what would what would you say that it really made him such an amazing you know a co-founder like tech co-founder? Yeah, and by, and by the way, he would hate it if I call him an engineer because he is definitely more than that. <laughs> so he, why I definitely appreciate him is he definitely skews like he he can he definitely thinks a, a lot like an engineer, but he also has a great business mind. So he understands, you know, engineering is just enabling. Uh, an outcome. It's not simply engineering for the sake of engineering. So he and I would sit down and riff on things, you know, quite a bit, but I think he, you know, he, he was able to figure things out. You know, he set up our entire first backend system on AWS. He, he, he did all a lot of, you know, backend database and set that up. He, he coded our first Android app in a summer all by himself. He figured that out on his own. Uh, so, you know, I think in any business, I think you have to bring, more to the table than an idea um and you have to be able to contribute and he definitely did that and i feel like i did that um but i think that's another learning lesson i've seen over the years where you have people that have these ideas and they say oh, i'm gonna go do this and my response is okay well what are you gonna go do well i'm gonna hire people to build all this for me and my response is usually well that's probably not gonna work like you, if you just have the idea yeah you, uh, you know you, you need to bring more to the table um, and so that's, I think that's a big, that's a big part early on. Got it. And then uh, obviously, you know, like the, um, what, what ended up being the business model of the business? How, how do you guys make money for the people that are listening? Yeah. So today, um, you know, years and years and years later, uh, we, we, we really try to figure out how can we help buyers and sellers be more successful? I mean, that's the, that's been the whole focal point of the business since day one. In fact, you know, I used to, in the early days before we had a lot of traction, I used to show up to people's house and I would buy their items and stick it in our very, very small office that we had. And so um, if you can imagine five guys sitting down in a, in a room coding with just stuff everywhere, that's what our first office looked like. Uh, and I never told, by the way, I never told the uh, seller that I worked at OfferUp. I just wanted them to believe it actually worked. Uh, so yeah, that's what we did for a while. But um, so we've always focused a lot on just the success of sellers and, and, and buyers and connecting uh, and connecting them. And so there's really two areas in which OfferUp generates revenue. One is um, promotions, and that's just simply helping sellers to be more successful. And the other one is is payments. And today we offer that via shipping. So uh, under the promotions bucket, um, you know we have uh, what we call one P ads, and that's simply you know, going into the product and, and a seller can decide to increase their visibility and pay uh, either one time or a subscription to uh, dramatically increase the visibility of their of their listings. And that really helps them to sell things uh, faster. The, the second promotional area is our autos business. So, you know, we sell a ton of cars on OfferUp. Um, I think we're probably one of the top places in the country in terms of units. Um, and so we, we partner a lot with local car dealerships and we help them to be more successful by integrating with their inventory management system. We give them promotions and analytics. Um, and so uh, we, we were finding that they're able to sell cars, you know, way faster uh, by signing up for this program. And so that's, that's been a big, a big part of it. Uh, and then the shipping business, uh, you know, we take um, a little over 12% of, of transactions there. Uh, but that was a business we launched in 2018. 
And, and again, because we, we're always focusing on removing friction. And so I remember when we launched it, uh, one of the questions was, hey, are we now becoming like other, you know, online businesses where, um, you know, people, we were just, you know, why are we focusing on shipping, basically? And my, my response to that was, you know, we are, we are about removing friction. How, and, and there's many times where you're not, you know, you won't even get in your car to drive, you know, 30 minutes for an item. Uh, so when we built out shipping, we said, well, why not just enable this? So you can continue to do local transactions, but now you don't even need to get in your car. Uh, and it opens up the nation for buyers and sellers. So you just, you have, you know, just a lot more exposure, you know, across the country. But uh, that's really the focus on why we launched shipping was not necessarily uh, to build a, you know, a, a new line of revenue for us, but again, to further remove friction, you know, in the, uh, in the process. Got it. And I, and I understand that you guys have raised quite a bit of money for the business too. How much money have you guys raised to date that is uh, publicly disclosed? Uh, well, I think so far we've raised 260. Uh, and then we just announced um, this latest financing and we'll be raising another 120 million. Very nice. And very timely, given the times that we're living in. So good stuff. So I guess uh, now in terms of, uh, for example, like the, um, the, the business itself, Right. I mean, how how big is the is the platform or, you know, can you talk to us about like number of employees or, or users that are using this, you know, so that people really get a sense of the of the operation? Yeah, definitely. So to today, you know, OfferUp is the largest mobile marketplace uh, in, in the United States uh, where people are using, you know, our, our app to buy and sell anything from cars to shoes to furniture. In fact, this chair I'm sitting in in my office is from OfferUp say a good uh, healthy portion of my house, probably over half of my house are things I bought from off road. So I have three kids' bikes. I have a you know, trampoline that I, I purchased. Uh, the shoes I'm wearing are from off road. So uh, you can literally use it for pretty much you know, uh, almost anything. Um, and, and, and I'd say our vision is you think long-term is really to help people to connect and prosper. And uh, again, like I, I mentioned the stories of our, our origin uh, I still feel like we're very much in the early days. If you look at commerce in general in the U.S., about 85% of it is still not online today. Even though we have these amazing giant tech companies, uh, uh, we still think there's a huge opportunity in local, and that's really going to be our focus. Continue uh, to be our focus. Uh, so to give you an idea of scale, um, you know we've been installed about 90 million times. Again, we're only in the United States. Uh, if you look at just annual adoption from our customers we're looking at over 44 million yeah so a, a few other stats i think that, that might be interesting about you know our offer of community and usage um is you know we you know we you know especially with this uh transaction coming together with Letco, we'll have over uh, 20 million monthly users across the u.s um we also have a lot of our top markets where we're starting to see um you know double digit growth uh, you know, we have markets like LA and Phoenix, for example, where over 18% of the adult population is now using OfferUp, uh, you know, on a monthly basis. And, and they're using it. And, and if you look at the uh, kind of usage overall, you know, we're looking at, you know, billions of dollars every month uh, worth, of, worth of goods being uh, sold on the OfferUp uh, marketplace. So it's really become, you know, a part of people's daily lives uh, that use it on an ongoing basis, uh, you know, throughout the country. Very nice. And how many employees do you guys have, Nick? 
currently we have, uh, I'd say about 280 and we are actively hiring at the moment. So, you know, we're looking to grow um, not only our Seattle office, but we also have an office in Miami as well. Got it. And how do you guys go? I mean, marketplaces are obviously a beast. So I guess, how do you guys, you know, especially, you know, like you, you probably thought about this very well, you know, at the beginning and now as you're looking at pushing other markets, but how do you guys think about liquidity in the marketplace? So that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, was some of the founding stories. I'd say liquidity and sell through is, is the number one metric that we that we spend a lot of time focusing on because we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're creating the best experience for buyers and sellers. So, you know, we, we do a lot um, within the product to connect buyers to the right sellers. And so, you know, when you first open up the OfferUp app, uh, there's a lot of different things that we uh, are doing and, and surfacing to uh, to buyers on the platform. Because uh, again, we're trying to find things that we think people are, you know, really interested in. Uh, we have, you know, see, you know, really good features like, you know, search alerts and things you can save, and we'll notify people right away. Um, you're also going to see uh, a lot of big changes this year uh, in, in our product, and particularly the, the the browsing experience. So when you first open up the app, uh, that's going to continue to evolve this year in a pretty big way, um, just to make it a better, even better buying experience uh, for people. So. Um, you know, we'll continue to, I think, obsess over uh, over liquidity. Very nice. So, I mean, obviously, you've been at it now for for quite a while uh, with OfferUp and, you know, also what you did with your previous, you know, um, initiatives like Connects. Uh, I want to ask you this, like, if you had the opportunity to go back in time and maybe to that time that you were in your early 20s, uh, thinking about how to launch a business, how to start a company, how to scale it, how to build it. So, I guess, um, if you had the opportunity to go back in time, knowing what you know now, and give yourself, give your younger self one piece of business advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, knowing what you know now? Uh, I'd say the, definitely the people. I'd say as, 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 as hard as it is, the people are, are everything. And so, you know, don't, you know, don't cut corners on that. Um, you know, I think I've even learned that mistake early on at Connects. But, um, you know, I think at, at OfferUp, we've definitely made... Uh, mistakes there too. And, and I think it's, you know, you want to find the right people that believe in where you're going and are, are really motivated and excited about, about that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that also ties nicely into culture and be intentional about that. So, you know, if you're not intentional, uh, culture is just going to, you know, take the form that it's going to take uh, for better or for worse. So I think it's, you know, a founder's job to be intentional about the type of culture that they're 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 going to build as a company, and and bring that into everything they do, from promotions to to recruiting. Um, it's not necessarily just about you know, finding the most talented uh, people you can, but you want to make sure they're also really you know, rowing the same direction for for the rest of the company. Um, so I feel like if you get those things right, uh, sure, there's plenty of other challenges, uh, but uh, they're, they're going to be. Um, a lot easier to navigate uh, if you have the right people on the bus. And I've heard you talk about core values, you know, a few times on how that ties in into culture. So what are your guys' core values? So in our case, we happen to have two kind of different buckets. One is core values and the other is operating principles. Uh, the way we kind of separated those out was intentional where, you know, we came up with core values actually fairly early uh, in our evolution. And what we didn't want to do is what I think a lot of, companies do is they, they have too many and they're just on a wall and no one really thinks about them. In our case, we happen to have three 
to make it easy. And uh, it was driven, neighborly, and adaptable. And you know, we, we came up with those three because we looked around the company at the time. We said, well, who is, you know, who are the people that are really striving here and why? And you look at like Driven, for example, that's just a growth mindset. Whether they're at offer up or in their own lives, they're, they're, they're not happy with the status quo. They're constantly in this process of bettering themselves. Um, you know, neighborly, we kind of have a no, a no asshole policy. Um, you can be the most brilliant person and work hard, but if, if you can't work with others, it's just not going to work well. So we got very intentional about that. And then adaptable. I mean, like I said, in any small startup, that's got to be there because um, success is not a linear line. It is just not up and to the right. And um, for some people, that's that's not comfortable. And so you need people that can, that can zig and zag with the company uh, as it scales. And so those are our overall, you know, I think what we look for in people uh, before they even come into the halls of OfferUp. And then once, and then once people are hired uh, and we have an interview for this, uh, we have what we call our operating principles. And, you know, I won't list them all, but that's everything from, you know, simplify. Uh, you know, it's an example of that is, you know, do I, do I, can I take complex problems and, and distill them down? Can I communicate succinctly or, you know, diving deep, you know, are you, are you simply, you know, how, how deep in the business are you going and understanding the metrics and the inputs and the outputs? Um, and, and we expect that from everybody, whether you're an executive or, you know, somebody on the front lines of uh, our, our customer service team, we expect people to, to dive deep into things like that. So, you know, there's a handful of, I'd say, operating principles that we use. And then, you know, for people that are on the interview loop, we ask them to ask some questions to probe for those. And we also bring those principles into our performance reviews. So um, in the last few years, as we got more intentional about this, uh, we, we've, we've, we've say, okay, every, every review cycle, half of your review is, you know, the overall performance and getting the work done. The other half is how did you do the work? And that's equally as important. So, you very know, that, nice. Yep. Very cool. So, Nick, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, you can always reach out to me on Twitter. Um, that's that's a nice, easy way to get a hold of me. Um, that's probably the biggest How one. Your, happy to chat with you. What's, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Nick Huzar. Amazing. Nice. There we go. There you go. Amazing. Alrighty. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. Thanks for having me. It was great. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.